Hello and welcome back to Stoner. Back at you another Tuesday. Uh, we have a great show for you this week. Uh, it's an interview with um, one of the co-founders and a couple of the writers from Cards Against Humanity. Uh, for people who have not seen um, crazy laughing uh, people playing Cards Against Humanity, it's a card game that uh, my guest Max Temkin uh, helped invent uh, with some friends of his from college that went on to be a giant phenomenon. It was the number one selling game on Amazon a bunch. They put out all kinds of expansion decks and uh, bought a big warehouse in Chicago and gotten involved in a lot of pretty wacky shit. Um, I talked to him and two of the current writers for Cards Against Humanity, Joanna Feldman and Julia Weiss. Uh, this show is called Stoner. We feature creative people talking about marijuana and whatever else comes up. We come out every Tuesday. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, hi at stoner.co. Uh, oh, there it goes. It's going. Yay. Hey, I love it. Cards Against Humanity team, uh, tell, me who, tell me who you all are. I'm Joe Feldman. How can how can I identify? How can I separate your voice from the others? Oh, I'm Joe Feldman, and I sound like a really sexy baby. Oh, a sexy baby! Excellent. Okay. Yep. Think like Jean Benet, but Jewish. Who else we got? Uh, I'm Julia Weiss, and I sound like I'm a librarian who's just trying to get it back together after the divorce. Uh, I, I my name is Max. I'm a uh, co-creator of Cards Against Humanity. That's what he sounds like. I want to I want to talk to you about uh, Cards Against Humanity, but I want to start off on topic, yeah. um, which is this show is about uh, uh, weed, marijuana, and I'm uh, I'm curious uh, when each of you uh, smoked marijuana for the first time. Um, I smoked marijuana for the first time. <laughs> Gosh, such a weird sentence. I know. I smoked weed for the first time. I think my like second to last week of high school, my senior year. I was like pretty good before that. Um, and then, uh, and didn't get high and I was outside on a porch at a friend's parents' house who was a year older than me, who was home from McGill. She was very cool. And then I got high like a week later at our last day of school, senior's last day. And I remember feeling like I wasn't high. And then I was eating this like bag of Doritos with a group of people sitting outside. And I was eating this bag of Doritos thinking about how I wasn't high. And then I, just kept thinking about how I wasn't high, and I like put my hand back in the bag, and all the Doritos were gone. And I was like, "Oh, <laughs> yeah, I'm high." Uh, and uh, and did it did it uh, stick with you, or was that a, a one off experience? It, it stuck with me. No, it was like pretty sporadic. After high school, I moved to Israel for a year, so we didn't smoke a lot of pot. We smoked hash a ton. Yeah, a ton. Um, I'm curious. I'm curious what um, your your experience in I I Israel were like. We've that's something that's never been addressed on this show before. Uh, oh, just smoking like my, weed in Israel. Sure. I, have a, I have a great Israel weed story. When I went, uh, I did a birthright trip, and one of the uh, dinglings uh, who was uh, from my college group who came along on the trip, like smuggled weed into like. What is it? is it? Ben Gurion Airport yeah. in uh, in uh, Tel Aviv, yeah, which is like the, I believe the highest security airport in the world. And so uh, this person brought weed from America on a trip to Israel. That's correct. And everyone has some sort of like, I feel like there's a lot of urban legends about how to like pack weed so like the like dogs can't smell it or whatever Just people put it imagine in your there is. Well, it's like people. You, uh, frankly, though, like nobody should ever do this. Like it's really not worth the consequences. But anyway, he did it. He was an idiot. And uh, there was one night. So one night, what you do is you like on birth on birthright. It's one of the common experiences. You like stay in this Bedouin tent, and it's like 
you know, it's sort of a Disney experience in that, like, I think these are, like, professional performance Bedouins. Yeah. Like, I'm pretty sure one of them rolled up in a, in a Geo, uh, if I recall correctly. And I was like, I don't think the Bedouins are supposed to drive a Geo. I mean, these are Bedouins like the knights at medieval times are knights. I mean. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like that. I feel like they're Bedouins. I feel like they're pretty legit. I, well, I, I guess. And maybe the knights at medieval times are take their craft really seriously. That's true. But uh, anyway, they, like one of the things that's cool, the only really the, the only sh- really strong memory I have from this thing is like you're out in the you're camping basically out in the middle of the desert and there's no cities around. There's, I mean, it's really about. I mean, I think to this day, other than maybe recently when we were in Joshua Tree National Park, it's about as far as I've been from people and from lights. And when you're out in the desert and there's just like just like desert everywhere around you. There, it's crazy. You can't see your. You hold your hand up to your face, and you can't see your hand. It's like a. It's an amount of darkness that, like, living in a city, like you kind of forget yeah. exists. And we got high. It's like the inside of that Doritos bag that Joe preached. That bag I never crawled out of. Just went forever. <laughs> it's, the, it's the infinite darkness of the inside of a Doritos bag. <laughs> and uh, we got someone like bought a. Um, what's that? Uh, the thing where you, it's got the straws out of it and you suck the smoke out of it. And it's like a big tourist thing you buy in Israel. Hookah? A hookah. A hookah. That's it. Someone bought a hookah and we smoked weed. And we went on this like walk. And then they like give us flashlights. And we went on this walk in the middle of the desert. And you get way out there. And it's like a hike. And then you, and this is at midnight, right? Yeah. And then you stop and you turn the flashlights off. And you, everyone just sort of sits in a circle on the stand. You just sort of like listen to the silence and you see the darkness. And off in the distance, there was like uh, some sort of like coyote or something started howling or a dog. I don't know what it was. It was some sort of animal started howling. And then another one started going and then a third one started going. And like it was pretty faint, but you could like hear this in the distance. And it like awoken something inside of me that I did not know was there that was like a primally I was I was like just high enough and just alone enough that I was like, I have never been so scared in my oh, life. I was uh, like, like, get go away from that sound. The way weed heightens fear is truly like it's normally, real. like I'm like a pretty chill smoker. Well, or eater of weed, but I was flying from San Diego to Philadelphia a couple weeks ago. And normally I take like three over the counter sleeping pills in order to get on an airplane. It's a real treat to travel with Julia. <laughs> wow. But uh, this time I couldn't find my pills. So I had, but I had these like weed gummies uh, in my bag. And so I'm like, I'll just eat a couple of these and then I'll be fine. And I was doing okay. And I'm like pretty, having a pretty good time in the airport. And then we're walking through the little thingy that connects to the plane. What's that thing called? The term? No. Nope. I would call it the, is it the gangway? The gangway. The gangway. That seems so that shippy. Seems shippy to me. Seems but yeah, I, as I was walking down the gangway, I was like, oh my God, I'm going to die today. Starboard or aft? I don't fucking know what those are. Can I say fuck? I fuck. I said fuck. What, what, what inspired <laughs> you to exper- experiment with edibles, multiple edibles on an airplane? Well, okay. For I, s- I hear this story a lot. For starters, the, people freak out. Yes, the, gummies, the gummies were two per, per dose. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I can't, I couldn't get on that plane sober. I knew I wouldn't get on the plane if I didn't have drugs She's in me. She's scared. She's I'm, I'm scared. A, okay. so scared of flying. And, yeah. but then, so there was like a kid behind me in line and he goes um, to his little brother, uh, it's okay, buddy. Planes are the safest way to travel. We're safer <laughs> in a plane than a car. And I was like, 
we're going to fucking die. This is the beginning of a movie. I started looking all around at all the faces of the people I was going to die with. Um, this sweet little boy and his little brother kept talking about the safety of air travel. I get to my seat. I look through the crack between my seats and there's another little kid playing with a little toy airplane. He oh, drops God. it and hit, um, his his brother goes, you made it crash. <laughs> and, oh, and everything sounded like dialogue at the beginning of a movie about a plane crash. And I texted my roommate to please if uh, watch the news and if this flight crashes to please clean my room so that my parents don't have to see how I live. And I texted my mom and dad that um, if something happened on the plane that they should know that I died happy and uh, fulfilled, um, which is I don't even true? think is true. But I just didn't want my parents to like go on thinking that their child died in her most feared way while also being sad about life. I think it's really funny to think that like if you died in that plane, your parents would be like, okay, because you said that text. I know. Well, and then it turns out my parents were really pissed about that text. I'm sure. Uh, and I was like rocking back and forth in my chair, completely coming to terms with death. Um, God bless the woman next to me. But uh, then as we flew out over the ocean, this calm took over. And it was like the part of my brain that doesn't hate me was like, we have to make her feel okay. And so it was like, Julia, you're the most loved now that you have ever been. You are, you are, this is the perfect time for you to go. You have left a good legacy. You have done good things. And people, when you die tragically, everyone only remembers the good. And then I was able to chill the fuck out. Then I fell asleep. Can you imagine what it's like to sit next to Julia on an airplane <laughs> while she shakes back and <laughs> it must, forth? It must be awesome. I've traveled no, with her a lot. I think it's kind of interesting. We've all brought up a different, like you've all talked about fear kind of in this different way. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like the fear that Max was talking about is like uh, that human fear that tells you not to go near a coyote. <laughs> and the plain fear is that kind of like fear of death that you have to overcome mm -hmm. so you can achieve serenity. It, it feels like in certain ways, like being stoned is kind of like cranking up your fear so you can have the like primal, like human fear. Uh, fear moment and the catharsis it, that follows. It definitely I mean, was there a catharsis that followed. The catharsis that <laughs> followed was like truly like being able to look at like myself as a human capable of being loved and like uh, like looking at things I've done as being like valuable, which is a thing I have a very hard. Both of those are things like I have a very hard time doing. Um, and yeah, it's like I feel like every now and then I'll get like little glimmers of thoughts I've had or like realizations I've had while I was high. And it's like, it makes it feel like a worthwhile gift that keeps on giving. You guys are in kind of an I interesting place as people who work for Cards Against Humanity. Uh, some of the people I've talked to on this show are lawyers or architects. Actually, we've never actually had a lawyer on there. That's an example that's false. But um, So a lie. <laughs> You're in a profession in which you do something, um, namely writing Cards Against Humanity, that in itself would be an awkward conversation with some people. Like, when you say that you write for Cards Against Humanity, uh, what kind of reactions do you get? And, and you, Max, as the uh, godfather of Cards Against Humanity. Well, um, one-eighth of the godfathers. One-eighth one of the, uh, the, the, the eight families. It's cool to have eight bosses. Eight equal eight bosses. Sweet, eight sweet papas. 
<laughs> tell, tell, Max, tell me, like, give me the, like, one minute of what Cards Against Humanity is for, for the extremely small number of people who don't know. Sure. Well, I'll, I'll start with a quick description of Cards, and I can, I can kind of talk about what it looks like today. So Cards Against Humanity started about six years ago. It was um, me and eight friends, and we created this game around the time that we were graduating from college. And it's, uh, it's really just an extremely simple, funny party game that was something we wanted for our, ourselves. Uh, and uh, the way it works is one person plays a black card. Um, they become the judge, and the black card has a question uh, or a fill-in-the-blank phrase. And then everyone else has a hand of white cards, which are sort of funny punchlines. And everybody plays a punchline to answer the question or the fill-in-the-blank phrase. And uh, the judge picks the funniest answer, and uh, then you just do that until uh, everyone is bored. And and how did um, how did you find how do you find writers like Joe and Julia? Well, so I've been a fan of Julia's for a really really long time. Just as a performer, like one of the funniest improvisers and writers, and also one of the kindest people, um, like in the in the comedy scene that I've ever kind of run across. So there's there's that on the one side of like I I just we've been sort of I've sort of like looked looked up to uh, to Joe and Julia for a long time. And uh, on the other side of it, it was like there's the eight of us who've been writing this game forever. And as we, you know, we just got this like, we just bought this like big warehouse building in Chicago and turned it into a co-working space. And we have all these employees and it's like the things are going really well. But, you know, we go on these writers retreats a few times a year where we try and get all the writing done for the year. And sometimes we sit down and we're like not feeling funny. We're feeling stressed out and we feel the pressure of like, holy shit, if we do not write a joke right now, this whole thing comes tumbling down. Like all these people lose their jobs and like oh my God, we've been doing this for five years and we've used all the jokes we can think of. And it's like, it, the pressure is like kind of on us at this point. So I think the timing was just sort of right of we were feeling like we really could use some new perspectives and some relief on the writing. And like, what was it like for you two coming into a writer's room of eight men who had uh, sort of given birth to this thing? Uh, I mean, when you read about, car I Googled Cards Against Humanity and there's like an, angry rant um on here about it's so i thought it was very funny but it's eight white men and should eight white men really be doing this and then i thought that was interesting because i'm interviewing you now <laughs> the, uh, uh the writers who who at least come to the show are two women so what was it like merging into a project like that um, well we uh we don't write in the same room as uh the creators um mm. uh because i mean there are scattered throughout the world we have like the first like meeting we had they were all on skype and they were all i mean it's like eight that's how, yeah that's how we do all our work yeah yeah it's really it's eight jewish white men taking a chance on two white jewish women it's honestly like <laughs> i mean the diversity my, is unfathomable <laughs> really something it is a dream i've had um the room that we created is pretty diverse and yeah, so, we have three straight so we, white guys and nobody else's. <laughs> so we asked we asked Joe and Julia, so we hired them as our as our head writers and we asked them to build a room um to bring in um people to sort of use their discretion to bring in an interesting um diverse room with a lot of different viewpoints from the Chicago comedy scene and I mean you guys can talk about like how we yeah, it's a, we sort of we took the lead from what the guy, the guys here do. The founders of the game do is really egalitarian. The way they brainstorm and the way they write is anonymously. Uh, so so as to not judge or feel judged, it's really awesome. And so we sort of like took a lead from them, and we uh, asked twenty something of our friends to submit. Um, people that Julia put in that I didn't necessarily know and vice versa yeah. and they submitted anonymously and then we along with the founders of the game 
uh, sort, sort of, of voted. Ranked the cards. Yeah, we ranked the cards anonymously. And so, uh, what like for every card that you eventually print, how many ideas are generated that get rejected? So, so many. I mean, there are. Uh, we have like this like giant spreadsheet that's just our room. There's and then four thousand something. There's yeah, there's like four thousand things on there, and that's not including the things we've taken off of it. And, and that's then only put on white a short cards. list. And that yeah, this is only white cards. Uh, and then from there, the, the guys end up taking the short list and have like broken it down. I think the further, statistics but... would probably be sad. So I mean, let's see, we have. On our, so you guys have four thousand cards. We on, have four thousand on, on the hopper. We have three thousand six hundred and eighty-nine on the hopper. Yeah, and like those will go. I mean that that is the that's sort of the hopper that fed a three hundred card expansion. So there yeah. you go. It's about six thousand cards. Yeah, maybe um, we're talking about it's like, like one 8, out of every two hundred. Like there are there's a card that like has seemed so great that like doesn't make it. And then there are cards that you think like, oh my God, if this doesn't make the game, like I truly will die and I will not know joy for the rest of my life. And then you, I, you can't remember it. Like, I the truly next can't remember. I'll feel so good about a card and then I can't remember then, yeah. what it was. And then it's totally What are the discussions like? Like what does what what the debate <laughs> around a card feel like? Oh, there's so many different debates to have about a card. Like is the point of view right? Is the, it funny? Is the, are the words Right? Does it work? Could this be played by a diverse group of people? Could this be offensive to Mm -hmm. a diverse group of people? Where is it punching? Yeah, where is it punching? Is it punching up or down? Is this too similar to the last like 30 fart cards that we wrote? Or is it the perfect fart card? Or is it the best fart card? Or could this, is this card not currently about farts, but could it be? Yeah. The way we collaborate, and which is like the lead we took from the founders of the game, is that we, because our, we all put, drop our cards into an anonymous spreadsheet. We discuss things in a way where I feel like even if I put a card in that starts to be discussed, that gets gamed and it morphs into something else, it doesn't feel like it's your card. It feels yeah. like we all wrote the card. <laughs> we do this thing. <laughs> One member of our room does it the best, but like when we've been working on a card for a while and it gets in, like we all chant, like we, we all, all wrote, wrote this card. card. Everybody wrote this card. <laughs> it's dumb and fun max do you like as as a person who bears some responsibility for this whole operation are you able to still enjoy the goofy fun part of it or does it feel like a giant octopus on you um it's sort of my it's interesting because like i i the older i get the like less concerned i am with that whole question because Everything I've ever worked on in my entire life feels like a like an octopus, and that's just sort of my temperament. Like I'm just sort of an octopus guy. Like I, I've had all these incredible opportunities in my life, and I've worked on presidential campaigns, and I've gotten you know the incredible like luck of of having like cards kind of blow up into this pop culture thing, and like you know I think it's one of those things of like I'll probably you know like it's easy to like look back at some of this stuff you know when it's a few years in the past and be like wow that I was, I was I must have been really happy doing that, or that must have been really fulfilling or satisfying. But I think in the moment, it always feels like an octopus. I mean, I, that's just sort of my own like anxious personality. I mean, there is there is like one there is one connection that I'm thinking of that's that's sort of an interesting. Uh, here's a here's a good weed themed uh, uh, connection. Yeah. Do you to all still of this. do you still smoke weed? Uh, I've never been a bit a huge weed guy. It kind of yep. makes me anxious. I, I it's sort of it's honestly it's a flip of a coin. 
whether I kind of am become like an anxious loner or uh, and want to go like off alone and read a book and I can't stand to be around people if I'm high or if I'm going to have like an amazing time and, and um, I find everything funny. Um, I, I also have sort of an anxious, constantly dissatisfied personality and I find that people who fit that mold either really, really, really like smoking weed or are, or don't you know, kind of shy away from it. It's sort of, it's a sort of polarizing personality type. Yeah. Every now and then I feel like I have to take long breaks. You do take breaks. I take yeah. breaks because I have like really pretty uh, crippling anxiety and I can get like really deep like depressions. And yeah. every now and then I burped just now. Um, <laughs> every, Please put a fart in instead. <laughs> every now and then when I'm smoking weed, my brain will start like doing the opposite of what it did when I was on that airplane. Well, once I, yeah. when it started saying nice things to me, like every yeah. now and then, my, like my brain will just be like, nobody likes you and everybody's just tolerating you. And like, you're not going to be anything ever. And also your parents are going to die someday. And oh God. then you're going to be old and you'll be ugly and you won't have anyone to love you. And it's just like this horrible thing that I cannot get out of my head. Uh, and well, here's the, here's the thematic, like, here's the thing that reminded me of this, like connecting to the writing is I had a friend, in, yeah. I had a friend in college, which is where I had my, my pretty uh, heavy uh, stoner period. Um, yeah. I had a friend in college who, who sort of had this theory of, he's like, Paranoia and creativity are essentially the same reaction, which is what, what being high can bring that out of you. It's why some people get paranoid and some people get creative. And really all it is, all of both of those are at their essence is coming up with something that's not there. Yeah. Right. And if it's, if it's paranoia, it's your, or anxiety, it's your, well, you're, you're inventing something to be worried about. And if it's creative, you're sort of seeing a new possibility in the world. So it, it, there's this idea in games and theater actually, and, and improv called the magic circle, which is. The, when you go see a play, the idea is the audience <clears throat> the audience enters into the magic circle, which is where they're willing to supplement the reality of the play for their own reality. It's like everyone agrees to like live on these imaginary fictitious terms for some amount of time. And that effect is very, very powerful in games too. When you agree to play a game, you're suspending the rules of everyday life in favor of these new arbitrary rules that are totally contingent and everyone um, agrees with. Um, and I think going, you know, that game experience can really very fundamentally sort of bend your mind permanently in, and let you see the world in a new way, in a, in a drug-like way. And not to say that it's the, the, the same as drugs, but, um, you know, I'm certainly not ignorant of all of the, the criticism that people make of cards. Um, but I do think there is a sort of liberal temptation to, um, you know, on the left to like, well, if we just like stick our head in the sand and we, and we don't talk about these issues and we pretend that they don't exist, they'll go away. And I yeah. think at its best, what cards is good at doing is it twists language and it twists humor and it makes you see these implicit, uncomfortable, but honest things that are in yourself and in the culture in a way that you might not reflect on otherwise. It's actually pretty w weird to see a group of people completely like losing control of themselves in <laughs> laughter. And it's a, it's a difficult experience to, to summon. Um, it's for many people, uh, like a drug experience is a way to summon it. But I think the game taps into something there. And, and I don't know exactly why that is. It's, I can tell you, I, I can tell you my uh, egghead theory on this. So one of the other cool things we found working on cards is, you know, obviously the game was inspired by other games that came before it in our lifetime, like Boulder Dash and, Mad Libs and Apples to Apples, but yeah, we've actually found 
you know, going back, like we've discovered uh, games going back to the 1800s that are basically the exact same game as, um, as Cards Against Humanity. So the one I, I always think of is this thing called, uh, and it's from the 1800s, called An Account of Peter Cottle's Trip to New York. And it's a story about a hobo who goes to New York. And one player is the reader, and they read the story, and they come to a fill-in-the-blank. And then everyone else has these little scraps of paper that come in this box. And they're like, they're like a mangy mutt or a barrel full of clams. Like literally like 1800s <laughs> Cards Against Humanity cards. And they play them. You know, you play them to the reader of the book, and everybody laughs. And this is an idea that's like a thousand years old probably or more. And I think it's just something about, you know, language is, language is the thing we're all in. It's the fundamental social and political structure that you can't even get outside of to talk about, right? Like we're all in language. Like it's the soup. We're all in the soup together and we're all, it's a political act that we're all sort of negotiating language. We're all a million little treaties with everyone around you every day deciding what, what's okay to say, how do you say it, who's included, who's not included, how do you word it, all of that kind of a thing. And at the time that we started working on cards, which was coming out of the Bush administration, we felt that I think I had I had this political feeling that language had gone awry, that it had become this, that, that the capacity to abuse language and use officialese to lie and distort and go to war and do these terrible things, that it was, we were, it was like post-meaning, right? It was like, well, what, like language had no meaning in the Bush administration. They could say or do anything and nobody gave a shit. And I think for us, we found it at, at that time, we found it so surprising and so subversive to do the simplest thing, which is like take an advertising slogan or take a, a, a press release. Um, you know, we write a lot of cards in the voice of a press release or, an, or a, a newspaper lead to write something like a newspaper lead and then put a nonsense term in there. We found that like, po- like politically like lively. I think one of the easy criticisms of cards is like, oh, it's just like edgy. You know, it's like it's just these like edgy, shocking phrases and everyone's just like stringing together these like meaningless, offensive jokes. And certainly like the game, if you, people want to play the game that way, they they can play it. But um, I still think that there's actually like I think I think when people make that criticism, I always question whether they've actually played the game because I think the I think the actual writing of the game is it's actually pretty pretty smart, and we we actually I think it has something to say politically. For all of the misunderstandings of the game, I think there are also like valid criticisms that speak to the game's importance mm-hmm. and uh, uh, relevance and its ability to uh, to do this good thing that it does. Mm-hmm. And um, in putting together this writer writers room, I think that it like has spoken to this idea that like yeah, you can have like an inclusive game created by like a diverse group of people with a range of experiences. And we still want to talk about things that are like dark and edgy. And it's so much edgy in terms of like, people are afraid to sort of touch these things. And I'll I'll say like, there's stuff that the writer's room writes that I assume people have looked at and decided is like appropriate to say. Mm -hmm. And I look at that list and I'm like, Holy shit. Like we're allowed to say that. Like, (laughs) Right. We do a lot to, well, and because we're always experimenting with how language makes us feel or other people feel. Mm-hmm. Like, there's one of, one of the most popular, best reviewed, most popular cards is a big black dick, right? That is, because uh, we collect statistics on like, right. what cards yeah. get played and what people like. And that is, by almost an order of magnitude, the most popular card in Cards Against Humanity. And I hate that card. Because do you really? Me, what do you, why do you hate it? I feel like it is playing on the sexualization of black men, and I it always makes me feel like 
it makes me feel like bad. It makes me feel like, how do we get to make this joke? And then today in the writer's room, two of our writers that are black were both like, we love, love that card. And I was like, oh, I can tell you okay. um, from <laughs> the guess. website I run long form that anything with sex will out pace every other story type sure we well, we, see, yeah. we see and we do see that we see so by category we also have these like inc we're incredible nerds about this we because like we have a bunch of like economics and like physics people among the like cards co-creators yeah. so their energy gets channeled into like tagging and categorizing every joke <laughs> and like ranking it by its different mm -hmm. um popularities and attributes uh, but I can tell you, yeah, sex cards are the most popular. I think violence cards are up there. I mean, it's all the salacious. We, well, we, I mean, it's... And we now this is like the modern. This is where we are in our writer's room. Um, where, where we argue about is <clears throat> we know when we come up with an idea, we know the cards that make us laugh. And we're like, that is the funniest fucking thing we have ever heard. And we know the cards that our audience is going to like. And I can tell you, I'll give you two examples from our writer's retreat. And we're, at a, we're at an uncomfortable thing because, like, if we, we used to say, well, we just write the game for ourselves. We write the cards mm -hmm. that make us laugh, and that's yeah. that. And now we feel like, well, we know that there's a discrepancy between what we like and what the audience likes. So we wrote, so the card um, was, uh, that we wrote was, it was like a man. Does anyone know that? Remember the goat one? Oh, the goat um, one. Uh, it's a man with the, the body, body of, of a goat, goat and the head of a goat. Of a goat. A, yeah, <laughs> a man with the body of a goat and also the head of a goat. I, that I mean, I think we would agree pretty widely in the, among the cards, guys. That's like the funny to us. That is the funniest card. That card is we and we published it, and that card is going to bomb with the public. Like that card, the public will not like that card because it's it did okay playtesting. It's a weird. What we like about it is this weird, like like snaky joke that curves in on itself yeah. and you, you're gone this crazy roller coaster. But then we also wrote uh, a dick. Uh, we wrote uh, a, a dick that is so big and so black that Matthew McConaughey like goes back in time and talks to his daughter through a bookcase in it or something like that. And we were like, that's the, that is such a dumb joke, but our <laughs> audience would fucking eat that up with a spoon. Like yeah. they will, like that car will play test off the charts. Yeah. Joe, what do you think about this one? A dick that's so big and so black that it's a problematic stereotype. Yeah, that's a great one. See, that is a smart card. That's a smart I, agree. I love that card. I love, I love that one. I, I do. do that. You know what I actually, you know what it might be that I don't, I, I maybe it's <clears> even <throat> less my problems with the card, but more with the bigger, blacker box. <laughs> that might be. And that, that card is inside the box. Right. I mean, it just keeps coming. My fans love it. Uh, where could people who want to find out more about what you are all doing find it? Uh, people can find us at. Uh, www.cardsagainsthumanity.com <laughs> Max, are we on that website? Max, I don't think we're on that website. Will you put us on the website and put our Twitter handles there? You have to put us on the website now. Little, you don't Max want that. Max literally wouldn't retweet me today. It wasn't a good tweet. Oh, Jesus. It was okay. Damn, our boss. I, I mean. I, I was really thoroughly dreading this conversation because nothing is more boring. Nothing is more boring than talking about weed. I hate weed people and their fucking their fucking theories about hemp seeds and the strains of weed. And I have to know all this stuff. And is it better to you make? You thought a joint I was going to be like? Why well, don't you I, I never I know? Like, hey Max, you into OG Kush? I don't know what any of that shit is, and I find it. I it it, it it's something. I just hate it. I hate the people that are like. It's like people who want to tell me stories of when they were drinking. It's like nothing could be more pedestrian and boring than people t just going on and on about, oh, well, it's actually the conspiracy by the paper barons and they ban the hemp. And it's like, I don't want to know all the medicinal benefits of hemp. I don't want to know any of that stuff. But this was such a great conversation. I, I enjoyed it. It was none of that stuff. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad. And um, 
I will take that. Uh, I feel that's like a, I wish I could laughing indicate at me, but to that people. Was, that's a compliment. <laughs> I know. It was just such a long journey to get to the compliment. <laughs> I and thought you were going to be a real boring sack. It was almost read like a warning. Like, heed my warning, Aaron. As this continues on, don't you dare talk indica and sativa with people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And will you? But you guys, you guys have been trapped in that conversation with some guy who's high and he wants to tell you. And he's yeah, I think that's not weed people though. I think that's just that's, like that's alcohol that's, people. It's not even alcohol. It's just like people. It's just douches. It's a it's and a I, hook, it's a hook to have a cool conversation. I do want to say, Aaron, when you said yeah. that like you don't know who smokes weed, so it's like hard to figure out who to reach out to. I operate under the yeah. assumption that everybody smokes weed. <coughs> I operate under the exact same assumption. All right, I'll see you guys soon. Okay, bye, bye, Aaron. Thanks, Aaron. And with that, another week of Stoner. Uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This episode was edited by Ann Garrett. Uh, our visual branding is by Mickey Duge. Associate producer is Justine Dom. Um, yeah, I wasn't really sure if I should put this episode out. I taped it a while ago, and I thought maybe the world changed. But then I listened to it, and it was pretty cool. Uh, thanks to Max Temkin and to Julia Weiss and Joanna Feldman for being incredibly game. Uh, this show comes out every Tuesday. Please subscribe. Please tell friends. We're in iTunes and Stitcher and Apple Podcasts, which is the same place as iTunes, and all, all sorts of other places. If you can get a podcast, you can get this podcast. If you'd like to get in touch with this podcast, please send a letter by email to hi, H-I, at stoner.co. See you next Tuesday.